0: that He, very thankful, that He clothed me in His righteousness and not my own. Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to be at. You can remain seated. We're going to read three verses um, and then we're going to get right into God's Word. Four verses, I'm sorry. Four. We're going to get right into God's Word and we're going to go from there. Acts chapter 8. We're moving through. Acts, and now we're really, we're really pick, picking up some speed here as we move through Acts. But listen to what it says in Acts 8 1 through 4. And Saul approved of his execution. Whose execution? Stephen's. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word today. We ask that you would bless it, Lord. We ask that you would bless the reading of it, Lord, that it would touch us and show us its truth. That it would work inside and and cultivate a life that is worthy to be called Christian, Lord. That that we would be able to live in such a way that would be counted worthy of persecution. Lord, I love you today and I thank you for this text and I ask... Let you bless it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, amen. Thank you, young lady. Thank you. All right, Acts chapter 8, 1 through 4. Everybody there? Say amen if you're there. All right. All right, so we're going to start with the execution. We're going to start with this execution. Listen to what it says. And Saul approved of his execution. What had just happened? Stephen had been stoned, right? The clothes were placed at the feet of Saul, showing that he was in approval of this stoning, of this murder of Stephen, the deacon. Rocks were thrown at Stephen until he died. Just a horrific, horrific death. Blunt force trauma, broken bones, internal hemorrhaging. Stephen died. Stephen was slaughtered. And Saul approved of his execution. As a matter of fact, chapter 8 here, the the first verse really goes with chapter 7. And so you see that Saul is approving of this Execution. But we need to see what the word approved means before we go any further. Because I think that we're going we're to notice the true wickedness of a person when we begin to dive just a little bit deeper into God's Word and we look at the word consented or approve and what it means. The word approved or consented Means here in this text that Saul approved of the massacre of Stephen with pleasure and with delight. That this massacre brought him pleasure and it brought him delight. That he was doing, he believed that he was doing God's work. So with a puffed out chest and a heart full of pride, Stephen was, or Saul rather, was full of pride, He was full of pleasure for this and delight. It pleased him. This is the type of person that we're dealing with. This is the type of vehemency that he went about slaughtering Christians. And so before we go any further, we have to understand that this man, he was a wild-eyed zealot for the law. And he went about doing this work, slaughtering people. He massacred Stephen. Massacred him. Turn with you, if you can, to Acts chapter 26. I want to read a passage to you because I want us to get a better understanding of the heart, this wretched heart of Saul before he was saved. Acts chapter 26, he's, he's testifying here of who he was before he was saved. And listen to what it says. And I think this is all of us. And if we can't testify to this and say that this is our heart, to in some way or another, if we can't testify to this, then we have a problem. Because the Apostle Paul here in the text, he is going to say what he was before he was saved. And listen to what it says in 26 verses 9 through 11. 26 verses 9 through 11. Remember I told you, he'd done this with great pleasure and with great delight, and this was what he was doing. Listen to what Paul says about himself in 26, 9 through 11. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, But when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. He was proud of his actions when he actually did them. Not here in this text. But when he did them, he was proud of his actions. He cast his vote against them. You ever cast your vote before? We have a a luxury of casting our vote when we turn what? 18, right? We get to go into the little voting booth... And we get to push the button and cast the, cast the vote and we get a little sticker. And we're proud of the one that we chose. We're proud we proud that we voted. And, and here's the thing. This is what's taking place. This man was a wicked, wicked man. He was proud of his actions. Verse 11 says, and I punished them often in all the synagogues. And tried to make them blaspheme. He says, I tried to make them blaspheme. This is how wicked he was. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. This Saul was a wicked man. I can envision him now, wild-eyed, bent on destroying the New Testament church glorying in the murder as he stood and watched. Adrenaline flowing through his veins because he thought he knew what he was doing was right. All the while he was wrong. This moment in history, right here in Acts chapter 8, when this intense persecution of the church starts, is a fulfilling of biblical prophecy. It's a fulfilling of prophecy, and I want you to write this down. This moment in history shows us many things, primarily prophecy being fulfilled. Prophecy being fulfilled. Here's the first one I want you to to, uh, turn with me to. and We've already been there this morning, but uh, that was my opening verse that I read with. But listen to this. We go all the way back into history, into the time of the patriarchs, into Genesis, we go all the way back to the beginning, the first book, Genesis. And we'll get back there into Genesis in chapter 49, and we see a story where a man is fixing to die. This man just happened to be named Jacob, or Israel. And he had 12 sons. Y'all recall this? Yes. Anybody with me? Y'all, y'all, yes, no, maybe? You're here. 12 sons, the last of which... His name was Benjamin. Now Benjamin was born by Rachel. And Rachel died in the process. Y'all remember the story? Okay. So, she was going to name him something else and the daddy came along and said, no, we're going to name him Benjamin. So, in Genesis in chapter 49... The daddy's about to die, Jacob or Israel. So he calls all his sons together and he's going to give prophecy over them and blessings. And he gets to his last son, Benjamin. And this is what he says about Benjamin. Let's go there. 49, I want you to read this, I want you to mark it down in your Bible. And I want you to write two names out beside of it when I get done. Genesis 49, verse 27. Turn there with me, because I want you to write down two names when I'm done reading it. We're going to flip. We're going to flip, or you can use your phone, or whatever you got. Genesis 49 and 27, I want you to see this, because this this is foretold. This is... Prophesied about but that what is happening in Acts chapter 8 is told us here in the book of Genesis, Genesis 49 and 27. It says, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey, and at evening dividing the spoil. You say, What in the world does Benjamin have to do with Saul? Well, everything. Because that was his very tribe. That was his tribe. Saul the persecutor came from the tribe of Benjamin. Came from the tribe of Benjamin. But there was another one that came from the tribe of Benjamin. Who was that? King Saul. And so there was two people in Scripture by the name of Saul, both of which... Two men in Scripture named Saul from the tribe of Benjamin that meet this description. The first one was King Saul. The second one was Saul of Tarsus, the one that we're talking about in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Both of these men were violent. Very violent. Both of these men were very zealous. Both men were filled with pride. Both men were like ravenous Ravaging wolves. King Saul went to war and devoured others. He was a man of war in the beginning of his kingship and divided the spoils of war. And Saul of Tarsus is no different. He is no different. Saul devoured the early church, gaining rank and prosperity. He he gained notoriety for his violence. That was his spoil of war. He persecuted the church in its infancy, and his spoil of war was notoriety and prosperity. He was rising the rain, y'all. Saul was violent. King Saul was violent. Both from the tribe of Benjamin. So we see here in this passage of scripture that forty-nine, Genesis in chapter forty-nine, is a direct correlation, and not only King Saul. In the Old Testament, the first king of Israel, but also Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 8. The one that was called to preach to the Gentiles. And we will get to that much later. So the prophecy is here fulfilled. And we're going to look at both of those Saul's later on in this text, but not today. We're going to look at them later on as we get through... uh, and to the Apostle Paul and his story. The second prophecy that I see, and this, this is really simple. We've talked about this multiple times. The second prophecy that I see here, remember that Christ Jesus was a prophet, priest, and king, right? Remember that? Prophet, priest, and king. John chapter 15. I've read it before. I'm going to read it again because uh, we need to have this rehearsed in our ears. John chapter 15: 18 through 21. I'm not going to stay long on this because I know that we know it, okay? But I want, I want to read it out loud. John 15:18 through21. Listen to what it says. "If the world hates you, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you." If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. This is a promise from Jesus. It's also a prophecy given by Jesus because he knew what was coming. We see it here fulfilled in Acts chapter 8, chapter 7 and 8, with the killing of Stephen and also the persecution of the New Testament church. If they kept my word, they will also keep keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So we see the second thing that we see about this prophecy is that Christ Jesus prophesies that people will be persecuted. To what extent in my life, I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever see uh, what happened here in Jerusalem at that moment in time, and that history in time. I don't know if I'll ever see it in my life. I don't know that. But Jesus tells us clearly that if they hated him, they will hate you. If they did not listen to Him, they will not listen to us. If they persecuted Him, that they would persecute us as well. Does everybody follow on that? Okay, so with that being said, we have to understand something. That this is, is, Christianity is a call not to live, but a call to die. Do we get that? We have to understand that Christianity is a call to die. Following Christ will get you killed. Following Christ will, will cause a lot of things to happen to you. And so we see that prophecy here is being fulfilled. The third prophecy that I see that is being fulfilled is, is right here in Acts chapter 1 and 8. If you had a pen you want to write this down, it, it just jumps off the page at me. Uh, the third prophecy is this. Jesus tells his disciples in Acts 1 and 8, but you will receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And it's in this very passage in Acts chapter 8 where this begins to happen. Do we understand that? Because of persecution, because of the things that were taking place in the New Testament church, because of Saul of Tarsus... People were scattered. And when I mean scattered, I mean scattered. But they took something with them, didn't they? What did they take with them? They took the gospel. They they took the love of Jesus and they took the gospel with them. And when that happened, it was just like a, a virus that Saul could not contain. And so this third prophecy here from, from Christ is that you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. And to the end of the earth, he didn't say uh, <laughs> Stephen's going to get his uh, stone, stone to death and then all of y'all are going to be drug out and y'all are going to be scattered. But he did say that they would be witnesses. And here in this text, in this passage of Scripture, we see that very thing fixing to take place in Acts Chapter 8. This is the passage. This ravenous wolf, Saul scattered the sheep, pushing them. Where did he push them into? He pushed them into the surrounding areas. What were the surrounding areas? From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. This is where Saul was pushing the people. This was a wolf, a ravenous, raging wolf, just like it says in Genesis in chapter 49, and he was coming after the church. He was bloodthirsty. You know, it's been said that a wolf... Kills just to, just to kill. We'll go about to the sheep and we'll kill to get the taste of that blood. I've seen cur dogs do that with chickens. Cur dogs. I've seen them do it with chickens. They get a taste of blood and then they go and they'll kill every single one of them that they can get a hold of. Saul got a taste of blood. He got a taste for it. This wild-eyed man went about persecuting The church. The coolest part about this is that the early church was really, really good evangelists. Okay? They were really good evangelists. Because everywhere they went, they went because they they were fearful, genuinely fearful for their life. So they scattered. But in the process, they took the gospel with them. And they were sharing the love of Christ with people that they come in contact with. They were really good evangelists. They couldn't help but to tell others about Jesus Christ. Today, it seems that the church has a muzzle on itself about who Jesus really is. We need to be telling people about Jesus, we need to be telling others about the Lord. True change had taken place in the people's life. How do I know true change had taken place? Let me share with you how I know true change had taken place. Because Jesus prophesied that they would go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the most parts of the earth. Well, here it's taking place. And what that means is people that were predominantly Jews are going now to the Samaritans and, and sitting with the Samaritans, sharing Jesus with them. This is how I know that they had really changed because the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. They hated them. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Samaritans hated the Jews. But here all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene. He tears down that middle wall of partition. He tears down that and removes that enmity between the two. And now we have Jewish people going out To the Samaritans, sharing the gospel with those that at one time they hated. This is evidence and proof that Jesus Christ was truly working in the lives of those that he called. Remember when Jesus in John chapter 4 said, I must needs go through Samaria? And the disciples were like, what? We ain't doing that. Are you kidding me? And then they come back and Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and they're like, what? (laughs) This was a big, big deal. We have to understand that that hatred that they had was real. It was legitimate. They did not like one another, but something happened. Something happened when Jesus died and rose again. Something happened when the gospel was preached. And I'll tell you what what happened. People trusted in Christ and their lives were changed forever. They saw Samaritans as people that needed a Savior. They saw Samaritans as those that needed to be told about Jesus. Jesus. And then you see in verse 4, listen to what it says. Now now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And this passage of scripture in 4 and following is Philip who is preaching Christ in Samaria. And he had huge success there. Well, a, a Jewish person preaching to the Samaritans? Having success? Yes, that's exactly what was taking place. This is how I know. This is how I know that it was true what was taking place in Jerusalem and in Samaria and in Judea and all of those places. Because walls were broken down. Walls were broken down. Between cultures and between societies. It wasn't about that anymore. It was about Christ Jesus. By the way, the people that were fleeing to Samaria... They were fleeing because they were scared. (laughs) They were fleeing because people were getting hauled off and thrown in prison. And the Samaritans are still signing up with them. Do we see that? True change had taken place in the people's life. The hatred that once was, was gone. The hostility that once was, gone. And it was brought down by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The more Saul tried to contain the Christians, the more he was spreading them. The more he was spreading them. Plain and simple. The more he tried to contain them, the more that he spread. This is what happened. This quite literally... Right here in this text. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. This literally. The persecution of, the, of Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem. Overnight, church plants took off all around the area. I'm talking like wildfire. We can't imagine that because... Planting churches nowadays is, is kind of a thing of the past. People, which it's, just not, it's just not a thing that we see in America a lot anymore. I mean, it's, it's really went down. If you look at the stats and you just look them up, it's, it's went down drastically. But overnight, people, as they, were, as they were scattered, as they were scattered, where they went, into these homes and into these places, churches were being birthed. I mean, just like, boom! Overnight. Saul couldn't stop it. Could not stop it. Pay attention to me, I'm almost done. Pay attention. Verse 1, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. So we have to see who stayed behind here. Was it just the apostles that stayed behind well obviously it wasn't just the apostles because we know that there were two men that that buried or men that buried Stephen and there also had to be people that could be dragged out of their houses brought before the Sanhedrin and murdered so who was it that was scattered who was it that left because there still had to be people in their homes Not not everybody left. Well, let me me explain to you what happened. And I I would believe this with uh, a lot of the the theologians as well. I don't consider myself a theologian, but I, I do agree with them on this. They say that more than likely those that were scattered were those preachers and those teachers, those disciples, those 70 or those 120. A lot of those were those that went out into the surrounding areas. Because it says in verse 4, And now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And so we see that not everybody left Jerusalem. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem, despite Saul ravaging the church. The apostles stayed there. There was also men and women that stayed there. And this is evident because we see where they were brought out of their homes and brought before the Sanhedrin. And Paul in chapter 26 says that he casted his vote against them so that they would be slaughtered. I want you to imagine something real quick. You're a Christian. You're sitting in your house and suddenly saw... Burst through the, the front door, back door, wherever. Crazy-eyed. I mean, this man is. I mean, he's, 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 he's gristled up like a bear. crazy eye. He knows that your allegiance lies with Jesus Christ. You can't deny it. It's all over your house. you got scriptures all over your walls. You can't deny it. And he grabs grandma, and he grabs granddad. And he grabs mom and daddy. And he takes them to prison. And he casts his vote against them. And they're slaughtered right then on the spot. What do you do? Are you prepared? Are you expecting this? See, we have had the luxury in America, to be able to be without persecution for so long that we think that we are in an isolated bubble where it cannot happen to us. True or not? It's very true. We're in an isolated bubble. It can't happen to us, but I want you to understand something, that it can. Verse 2, listen to what it says. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over, and they weren't even supposed to do this. This went against the Jewish law to make great lamentation over a malefactor like this, Stephen, who was accused of blasphemy, he was accused of heresy. They weren't even supposed to cry over this. Jewish historians say that these type of people, they didn't even get to be buried with the lineage of their family. They had to be buried over somewhere else. Because they died as a malefactor, as someone that was wicked, someone that had went against the Lord. But these men here, they were devout men, they did not leave when things got hot. They stayed, risking their own life. they went and they took Stephen, a dead body. They cleaned him. They wrapped him up, and they buried him. And great lamentation was made. Great lamentation was made. They grieved for this man. Saul's threats and Saul's actions did not deter them from them doing what they had to do for one of their Christian brothers. They stayed to take care of Stephen. Stephen. Verse 3, and I'm done. Listen to what it says. But Saul was ravaging. You see that? Kind of sounds like Genesis 49, doesn't it? But Saul was ravaging, or ravenous, ravaging the church. And entering house after house. Guys, he went from house to house. Pulling people out. This man was set on fire from hell. And he he was dead set on getting rid of the church. We're going to see how the Lord is going to stop him later on. But listen to what it says. Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. He was a ravenous wolf. The son of Benjamin was bad. My question for you today, are you ready for this type of persecution? Are you ready? This moment in history in the early church, this moment in history in the early church was a very, very sad time. But make no mistake about it, it was a very very uh, much a time of liberation and joy as well. Because even though people were being slaughtered, people were being redeemed from their sins. They were being liberated, they were being set free from their sins. And they were being slaughtered. So it was a sad time, but it was also a time of, of joy and a time of freedom and liberation. And so here in the first first three verses, it's just a kind of a a really, really hard scene to try to imagine that the Apostle Paul that we love so much could be capable of such heinous acts. But in fact, he was. This is what the human heart is capable of outside of the grace of God. Verse 4 says, Now those who were scattered went about Preaching the word. They didn't keep their mouth shut. They didn't go into other places quiet. They had a story to tell. They had truth to share. And that was the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And they did just that. And in that moment, the church exploded with growth. Absolutely exploded. And so I pray today that as you look at this, you can see the heart and what our beloved Apostle Paul, and I love him, he's hard to read, man, and he is tough in the Scriptures. We're going to see where he is tough in the Scriptures. We're going to see that vehemency that he used against the church. We're going to see him use that in the church. And it's going to be awesome when we get to it. But we see here, before we move into that, what truly the human heart is capable of outside of the grace of God. And I pray that if you do not know the Lord, I pray that you would be able to see the wretchedness of the human heart and what it's truly capable of. And I pray that you would be able to understand and confess that Jesus Christ... Is Lord believing in Him, trusting in Him by faith, and following Him. Guys, that's all I got for you today, one through four in Acts chapter eight. That's a new chapter. And it's it's a grim, grim chapter. But we're gonna see some really good stuff in it later on as we go through this this chapter. So let's let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we are thankful for